Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. What's the longest car ride you've ever been on? And I don't want you to answer. It's a rhetorical question. I once went from uh, my house in Mullica Hill up to Quebec with two 19-year-old girls. That was a long ride. I have to go to the bathroom. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm like, you're 19 years old. Stop. But we went and we had a great time. And I don't know if you know, but you can go right to Quebec. It's only about a, a nine, 10 hour drive. Or you could go the other way. I want you to think about this. Florida is actually further away than Canada. Right? And uh, I'm sure many of you at least once have done the, the drive to Disney. You decide it's, it's too expensive to fly. And depending on how you go, that could be 14 to 17 hours. And I have to say, in the old days, we didn't have tablets and we didn't have smartphones. We didn't even have a Walkman to listen to music. We had, we had, you had to play games. Like everybody got to pick their own radio station for a half an hour. Remember those rules? Or, or you could bring one cassette and everybody popped it in in order. I mean, it was long. Perhaps the longest ride I've ever been on, and totally my fault, we were going to go to Williamsburg right after church on a Sunday, and I had the week off. It was the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Every college student on the East Coast was doing what? Going back to school. It should be a four and a half to six hour ride from here to Williamsburg. 14 hours. We got off at D.C., ate dinner, got back on, and I swear they were the same cars that were there when we left. Now, I've preached on the wise men in the past, and I've preached on the wise men wives in the past. I love that face, Kara, because think about this. Dear, I'm, I'm going on a trip. Oh, where are you going? I don't know. How long are you going to be gone? I'm not sure. How are you going to get there? Well, see that star? <laughs> We're going to follow it. What? What's her name and when will you be back, right? That's the wives of the wise men had huge faith. But we're going to talk about the trip today. How do they get from point A to point B? Now, we sang We Three Kings of Orient are. It really doesn't say in the Bible that they were kings. They were well off because they gave expensive gifts. And they were men of honor from their country. They were magi, which is wise men. They were astrologers and astronomers. I want you to hear both there. They studied the stars in the heavens, and they studied the stars in the heavens to see if there were portents of what was going to happen in the world. But they, they paid attention to the movement of the stars, not just what they would mean, and they were educated. They were probably the most educated people in their community and, of course, in Bethlehem. I'm sure you've played at least one Bible trivia game where somebody says, how many wise men were there? And somebody says three, and everybody snickers. Because it doesn't have a number. There were wise men as a group, and they gave three gifts, which is why we have those verses. Myrrh have I, frankincense, and gold. We don't know. Now, the old 
legend was that there were 12. And then there was a novel written in 1895 by a man named, uh, I wrote it down somewhere, anyway, called The Fourth Wise Men or The Other Wise Men. And uh, Martin Sheen made it into a movie. And so there's gold, frankincense, myrrh, and this wise man had precious jewels. And when they got to Beth, oh, he stopped to help somebody on the road. So when he got to Bethlehem, the other wise men had already gone back a different way and Herod was slaughtering the children, which is the part of this story we didn't read today, but we've all heard it before. And he uses one of the precious gems he had brought for the king to save the child's life. So then he hears that they went to Egypt and he goes to Egypt and he, he, he literally follows Jesus around and doing good works with the jewels that he had brought. And finally, the last jewel he has is a, a pearl of great price. And he winds up in Jerusalem on the day of the crucifixion and a girl is being sold into slavery and he gives the pearl to save the girl. He has given none of the gifts to the child. And then, because authors like to kill off your favorite character, a tile falls off a roof, much like the movie Ben-Hur, and he dies. And he meets Jesus in heaven. So, all this to say that there were a number of wise men. We don't know who they were. They brought gifts. Now, I'm sure you've heard sermons on the gifts meant something for Jesus' future. The gold represented that he would be a king, and the frankincense represented that he would be a priest, and the myrrh is what they used to wrap uh, dead bodies and to treat uh, before they put them in the tomb. And I just read a very interesting book I talked about it a couple weeks ago called uh, Bethlehem in the First Century, and the author said, you know, you could read all of that into it, but they were just good gifts. They were portable, they were profitable, and they were easy to liquidate. And God knew that Joseph and Mary and Jesus were going to have to go to Egypt, and they would need resources that were portable, profitable, and easy to liquidate. God is God. Jewish law also stipulated, I want you to hear this, that Mary had to purify herself for 40 days after the birth of the child. Because if you've ever been at the birth of a child, there is a lot of fluid, and she had to cleanse herself ceremonially from that. So the wise men came probably within a 40 or a 60-day period after Jesus was born. Some churches, we talked about this, they'll put their nativity on the altar and the wise men start in the back and they travel until they get to the front. Now, the Feast of Epiphany is Wednesday, January 6th. I know that very well because it's my son's birthday. But uh, we celebrate the Feast of Epiphany to the closest Sunday before. So welcome to the Feast of Epiphany. The wise men are here. If you know any Hispanic folk, this is a huge holiday for them. Three Kings Day or Little Christmas. I had the opportunity to be in Bethlehem for Little Christmas. And the Orthodox priests were leading worship before we went down to see. There's a, a big golden star in the floor that's supposedly the exact spot where Jesus was born. But it was really cool to be in Bethlehem on the day that the, the kings would have arrived. 
So that's why in the scripture it said that they worshipped the child and not the infant. Now, if you're taking notes, I have five points, and they all begin with the letter D. You know, I like to do that. It's easy to remember. And the first one is this. The wise men had to decide to go. Now, what does that mean? You've all heard the, or seen the T-shirt or the bumper sticker that says, a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Right? I could wear all of that biking stuff and walk around and say, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. But if I don't go, there is no trip. They had to make a conscious decision. That's what we're talking about for the future of this church, is we're making a conscious decision to say, where does God want us to go? Because if you don't have a destination, you have no place to go. Now, the second thing they needed was directions. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just have following another driver. I have trouble following another driver in the car. My brother, who I love, refuses to use turn signals. So we're driving through Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm in a car, and he's in a car, and he'll just whoop off to the right, whoop off to the left. You've got to pretty much tailgate him and be ready to turn at any moment. And I said, Ken, I love you, buddy, but you got to use turn signals. He says, nope, never did. Well, that's about what it's like following a star. First, you have to wait for what? Then you have to wait for the sun to go down. You have to wait for night. And then, I don't know about you, but I wanted to see the Bethlehem star. What was it, two weeks ago? Did anybody see it? It was overcast so we we sleep all day we get up just follow the star and you can't see it i i drove by the car wash down here today and it occurred to me do they get paid on on rainy days it's an interesting thought right well can you travel on a cloudy day if you're following a star no so they needed directions now for us as the church we talked about this last week It's like putting something together. You've got to read the directions, take inventory of what you have, and then begin the assembly. We're back to that decision. So the first thing they had to do was decide to go. We are going somewhere. The second thing was they had to figure out how to get there. Follow the directions. Now, I got to tell you, on that horrible drive to Williamsburg, when we spent more than double the amount of time we should have in the car, There were moments that we talked about doing what? Turning around and going home. (laughs) This is not worth it. Imagine if you're in the middle of the desert and you've had three overcast nights in a row. And the camels are eating all the food and the the servants that you brought along are complaining and grumbling. and, And you're saying, well, really? Do we have to do this? Why don't we turn around and go back? Why don't we just go back and live life the way it was before all this happened? It's not what the, it's not what the Magi said. They said, we are going to see this to the end. Now, you may remember this summer I, I rode from my house to Ocean City. And I tell people I had a stalker. Because somebody was very worried about me. 
and would drive and then park until my short little fat body came riding by. There are videos. And I would stop and kiss my stalker. I mean, if you have a pretty stalker, you should kiss her. And she would say, do you have everything you need? And of course, you saw my kit. I also carried two water bottles. I had plenty. And I had planned stops at 7-Elevens and places so I could... I'm good, I'm good, and hop on, I go. And there's one horrible video I wish she hadn't posted where she watched me leave. I have on this yellow shirt, so my caboose looks about five (laughs) feet wide, right? But imagine if I had stopped along the way. I, I would be disappointed. She would be disappointed. If you start the trip, if you begin the journey, you have to plan to make it to the end. If you decide to long-distance cycle, never plan a long-distance ride in a loop. Where you say, oh, well, this loop by my house is 10 miles. And if I want to go 40 miles, I do four loops. Because every time you go by your house, what does your body say? Oh, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to go home? Oh, and get some water and sit on the sofa and, oh, air conditioning in July. And you should never plan a long ride in a loop because you probably won't finish the long ride. You have to have determination. That's our fourth one, our our third one. Our fourth one is this, dedication. You have to have a destination and plan on going there. One goal No side trips. Henry Ford said this. I I like this. Obstacles are those frightening things you see when you take your eyes off the goal. So remember, I challenge you to think about January 1st, 2022. What do you want the ministry and the worship of this church to look like a year from now? That's our destination. That's our goal. That's where we're headed. And if we take our eyes off of that goal, we'll see the obstacles and not the glory. The the last thing I want you to think about is that this trip costs something. It costs them time. It costs them resources. It costs them perhaps a little bit of ridicule when they said to the other wise men, Oh, by the way, see that star? We're going to go follow it. It's like the person who tried to find a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Well, good luck, buddy. But I don't know anybody that's ever found the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. They were probably not esteemed until they got back and said, Ah, we found the child. It's going to cost you something. Getting from here to there. It reminds me of a story Robert Schuller told of a man who had a dream that he went to heaven. And uh, when he got there, all the people had uh, spoons attached to their arms. And the spoon went about a foot out beyond their arm. So you couldn't get your own spoon to your mouth. And there was this wonderful array of ice cream on the table. And all the people were just staring at the ice cream because they couldn't reach it and eat it. And he said to the angel, he said, this is heaven? He said, oh no, this isn't heaven. This is hell. 
He said, well, what does heaven look like? And he went to heaven, and guess what? All the people had spoons attached to their arms, a foot out. And nobody could reach their own mouth. And there was this wonderful array of ice cream on the table. And they would take their spoon, and they would feed somebody else. It's going to cost you something to reach your destination. On the 31st, we're going to have our annual meeting, and I'm encouraging you to take a three-by-five card or a piece of paper and to write several things on it. The first one is this. I commit this year to read my Bible more, pray, fast, make a commitment to your spiritual growth. The second thing is I'm asking you for the entire month of January to pray about what ministry you might like to see built in this church. I have a friend who doesn't start a ministry in his church unless somebody has a vision for it. Why? Because you can drop off your vision at the pastor's desk, but then what's the pastor responsible for? Everybody's vision. Well, there's no way one man can assemble the church that God has for us. Everybody brings a piece to the pie. I want you to think outside the box. It doesn't have to be a prayer meeting or a Bible study. I know a church in Pennsylvania that actually built a ministry on gun safety. You know, they all all go deer hunting out there. The church actually set up in the backyard of their church. They have a, a big lot, a shooting range. And they have clubs for the kids and for the adults and they teach them gun safety and how to shoot and they've started a ministry that sees literally hundreds of people come to use this range. I'm not sure we could get away with that in New Jersey. It's just an example. (laughs) Can you imagine how much trouble we could get in setting up a shooting range in Cherry Hill? Anyway, think outside the box. I wonder what God would want us to do. The third thing I want you to put on that paper is what do you need? Because if it's something you need, it's probably something people in our community need. And we could build on that as well. You've heard the saying, if a tree falls and there's nobody there to hear it, does it make a sound? Or you may have heard this one. If a man makes a statement and there's nobody there to hear it, is he still wrong? But I think we should say this, if the gospel is preached and the unsaved never hear it, can we expect lives to be changed? I want you to start praying for God's vision as to who you can bring to share in the worship and the work of this church. There are people in your neighborhood, there are people in your family, people at your workplace that need to hear the gospel. And I got good news for you. You've heard me for two and a half years now. You know I'm not going to put them in a headlock until they get to know Jesus. I am not going to embarrass you in the way that I share the gospel. The gospel is very shareable, I believe. It doesn't require screaming and stomping and yelling. Jesus loves you. What else do we need to say? Jesus died for you because he loved you. And he invites you into that relationship with him. Let me finish with this story. There was a Christian staff at a hospital in India and they presented a a pageant and at the end of the pageant they invited people to come up 
and say something. The first person who came up to say something was a nurse. And she shared how that she had felt called by God to be a nurse. And she felt that being a nurse was her ministry. And she knelt in front of the nativity on the stage. And she gave her nursing to Jesus. And she left. And the next person who came up was the maintenance man. Well, unbeknownst to anybody except him, he had been born with gnarled hands. And the doctors at that hospital had done surgery so that he could move his hands. And he praised God for the gift of being able to hold the implements that he needed to do his job to keep the hospital clean. And he knelt in front of the nativity and he offered that service to God. Anyone else? The master ceremony said, and one of the surgeons came up. His name was Dr. Chapati, and he, he had come right from surgery, so he had on all of the garb and the, and the head thing and the gloves. And he began to tell them this true story that when he was a little boy, he was a member of the untouchable class, that his mom had fed the family by breaking rocks. And that he, as a little boy, had had to go to the garbage dump to search for food for the family. And they lived this way until he was about 10 years old and they met a Christian missionary who said, God has something better for you. And he led him and his mother to Christ and they took them into their home. And they found out that he was an incredibly bright boy and they educated him and they sent him to college and to medical school and he came back to serve at the hospital that the missionaries had built. Well, the people were incensed because if you know anything about the caste system in India, once an untouchable, always an untouchable. But in front of the assembly, he turned around and he did the Indian bow to the nativity and he offered his surgical skills to God. Today, God is saying to us, what do you have to offer? What are you willing to pay, to donate to the work of the kingdom? If you've never made a decision for Christ, it's really as easy as three things. Admit that you're a sinner. It's not that hard. We all have done things that hurt ourselves, hurt the people around us, hurt God. And admit that you're a sinner. And believe that the only price, the only Yes, the only price that could be paid to forgive you that sin was the life of a sinless man, and that was Jesus. He loved you so much that he died for you. And then commit to that decision. Say, Jesus, I commit to you. I want you to live in my life and determine where I go from here. Help me find my direction. If you're not sure of your calling or your gifts or your knowledge at the end of the service, after we sing, blessed be the tie that binds, talk to one of our deacons or our pastors, and we would love to pray with you to help you find your calling, your gift. And the last thing is this. Don't compartmentalize your faith. If you're going to get on your camel and travel two months to find a newborn baby... You can't compartmentalize your faith. I'm only going to travel on, on clear days or sunny days or days where the temperature's right. No, they made a commitment to go from the beginning to the end. 
It's what we call a Christian endeavor, a 24-7 commitment to Christ. And if that's something that God has laid on your heart, again, we would love to pray with you at the end of the service. Amen.